Well, this is the uh, first recording, first podcast for my Aussie Warrior um, project, uh, a new podcast where I want to uh, talk to great people around Australia, maybe overseas, but um, really uh, go and find those unsung heroes uh, in Australia, in our local communities. Some people might be a bit more known other people will be quite achievers or they'll be they'll be known for good reason in their community groups. And when I was thinking about who I could interview straight off the bat um, and who I'd feel comfortable talking to and someone I really have admired and respected for a long time, I thought of uh, my great old rowing friend Phil Urovich. And Phil is uh, here with me. He's very kindly come out. This evening, uh, down to our recording studio in Osmond Park, and um, I'm really honoured uh, and really thrilled that he agreed to come along for the ride with me and um, see what we can do and see what it, what it's all about. Yeah, great work, Nick. Thanks for saying that, and yeah, great to be um, back talking to you. Don't you're all busy people, but yeah, definitely great contact and had a great great time in our develop developing years. Hen House, this is a hen house, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty famous place where Jebediah and um, a lot of Perth bands have recorded. So yeah. Pretty famous. And I'm familiar with your work, Professor. You do put <laughs> a lot of things, good things together. So thanks for thanks for thinking of me. Pretty honoured. Thanks, mate. Oh, good, Phil. Uh, well, I was thinking um, just this evening, I was trying to remember exactly when we first crossed paths and I think it was probably the end of 1990 or maybe into 1991 and I thought you might recall because I think you'd just come back from the South Australian Institute of Sport or SASE it used to be referred to as. Yeah that was very funny I drove my Kingswood across and um, yeah I remember we, we had a, a lot of a lot of really spirited people in that squad and um, yeah great times um it's funny you sort of will swing into alignment with people that you click with and there's sort of waves of people in organisations or sporting groups that keep in touch, but we were pretty lucky, I think, watching other people that I've seen come through football, rowing, running. Um, it's You're pretty lucky if you click with some people that you know, you, 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 you click with, you, yep. you find common ground. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and we'll talk a bit more about uh, where you've come from and what you've done and um, what you've done down at Trinity College with teaching and rowing and most importantly leading young men and uh, building a great community down there. Um, Thanks, man. But um, I I guess it'll all all become clear as we chat, but I was curious as to how you came to be at the South Australian Institute of Sport. Mm. My pair partner, Dave Rich, great bloke, great person, great rower, um, and I were rowing a pair. He was offered a scholarship to go to South Australia. All the lightweights in the country were heading there. And um, there were four guys from Tasmania, Dave, a lot of good South Australians that were the first lightweights to row in the Olympics. And um, I was under 23. And because he'd been invited, they said, you can bring your pair partner if he's interested. Uh, we, we'd done some good times. We'd, we'd driven across to Adelaide and raced in the National Selection Regatta and they'd, we'd beaten two local boys, so they sort of had seen us race. Um, but big adventure. Um, 
driving across to Adelaide and then um, I, I left my job here as working as I was doing a bachelor of business and I was working for uh, a cooperative for um, food, dried fruits and things in the Swan Valley and um, yeah, pretty big, big move. Um, family backed it and yeah, it was. I look back at that now, having my own kids, and think my dad was pretty cool. My mum and dad were pretty, pretty supportive. Kid driving across the country to quit his job and go rowing. Yeah, wow. And were you maybe four or five years out of school at that point? Ah, uh, yeah. I turned twenty-one when I was there, so I was there for a Not year. So I was nineteen, turning twenty when I left, and then turned twenty-one just as I came back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, how long were you in South Australia? Yeah, the one year, and it was the year that Australia had the World Championships in Tasmania. So, in terms of rowing, it was very exciting times, and yep. we uh, would take the bus, a, a coach, all these rowers, men, women, heavyweight, lightweight, to at Melbourne to race in their state championships, and we won the the pair, the four, and the eight. And it was um, everyone bought a carton of beer for the drive back to Adelaide, and we're all not used to drinking. Yeah. And, Pretty funny drive, but yeah. Pretty good fun. And w- w- was that 89 when the champs were down at Lake Barrington? I, the think, world I think 90. I might have 90 maybe, yeah. yeah. I remember watching on TV. I think the ABC might have run it yeah, the back awesome. then. And yeah, the awesome foursome. Um, as a young rower, I'd left school in 89. And I think they were kind of on the radar mm. around that time or sort of going into 1990. And there was a bit of buzz, wasn't there, for that that four? Yeah, that all come out of the big boat uh, the year before, which I guess was uh, at the Olympics. And yeah, that pretty interesting blokes. They'd be they would deliberately try to mess with their opposition's head by kicking footies and wearing thongs and just looking super so super relaxed, and then going out and putting these amazing performances together. Yep, and. Um, yeah, I helped break into their Mercedes that they were at the Nationals in, in Tasmania. They locked the keys in the car. And so um, I said, yeah, I could do that. And I can't remember why, but I got a coat hanger and got into their car for them. So you you might have been pivotal I was in their career in the s- early days. Significant developmental moment. Yeah. <laughs> I remember as a young bloke watching that, that crew with um, Tompkins stroking, I think, uh, was it Sam Patton? Yeah. Might yep. have been. To see, yeah, uh, Mike Mackay, yeah, and Nick Green, Nick Green, and then yeah. then um, young guy came in, became the head of rowing Australia. Um, Drugin, Drugin, yep. yeah. Well, yeah. At, watching that, and later at the Olympics, I think nineteen ninety two, watching, well, they won the the Olympic gold, and uh, Peter Antony and Stephen Hawkins won the double skull gold which um for me as a young uh sort of wannabe lightweight sculler they'd both been lightweight those boys hadn't they and um, yeah. were thrown together at a selection regatta and um uh you know went on to to win the gold against the you know giants of um uh, men's world sculling amazing stuff nick i got to paddle with stephen hawkins and his with his coach tim mclaren Tony Loverich, who runs Guildford Rowing, was coaching me in the single, and um, he he won a silver medal with Tim McLaren in Los Angeles, and I uh, said, "Oh, could we paddle along, have a look at my sculler?" And um, 
yeah, became you know a bit of a turning point for me for me to be able to row with this guy who was one of my heroes. He's he's about six inches shorter than me, mm-hmm. and he won a open heavyweight gold medal. Um, Peter Anthony, if you ever get the chance, you've got to read his book. It's hard to get, but as a schoolboy, he uh, finished the head of the river as a year ten and rode 180 kilometres to this farm on his bike to uh, go to the sort of afters party and then had a beer and passed out. And then another amazing story is he would go out to a party, sort of get some sort of guilt thing on, run home, but every time he'd come to the river, the Yarra, I think it is, take his pants off, swim across, put his pants back on, run till he got to the next bow in the river, cross it again and just keep going and be ready for training in the morning. Yeah. It's a bit of a inspiring oh, person amazing. for me. Well, I think, um, you know, I guess maybe we'll, talk a bit more about this but that sort of um well f- uh for me and i'd be curious for you as well that uh some of those races were sort of foundational for me as great australian sporting and i guess for me sport was culture as well as it was i think for many um mm. probably people our age and and older i'm not sure if it still is but we can talk about that yeah, yeah. and um just watching those australians um punch so far above their weight on a world stage and there's we've done that in many other sports for many years yeah and not talking big but um producing something that's above you know what you'd expect from the program they're coming from yeah um the interesting thing on that is it that's what hooked me to the sport and you i remember Mm. you beating me in the lightweight skull um in collie Remember yeah, that? I think uh, yeah, I managed to me. stay afloat. And got me yeah. that one. a good one. <laughs> and, and a bit um, of a lucky day. And, and that whole, um, that time, rowing had this image of being kind of a noble sport. You were yeah. never going to get your name in the paper. Yeah. Um, you were going to row 20 to 30 kilometres in the morning and do an ergo or weights in the evening and um, then go to work in between. Mm. And um, we sort of had that up until – I don't know, there was a thing happened, there was lay down Sally yeah. and rowing became something that, that was sort of laughed at on telly a bit. Yeah. And then the other one was a guy threw a punch in London after the London Olympics and, you know, as TV loves to have some sensational thing, became sort of the spoilt kid sport. Yeah, right. And then sort of cycling and triathlon sort of took that noble mm. ground of the athlete really hurting themselves to impress themselves. But, yeah. but that's at the core of it. So um, you're not going to do rowing to um, to uh, make a living out of it, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, one of the uh, uh, national championships we went across to and it might have been in around 93 and I think um, uh, Peter Antony and Stephen Hawkins were there competing for their clubs and states as we were mm. and uh, one day I was watching Stephen Hawkins come in from just um, – training on the river uh, on the dam Wivenhoe dam up there and he had his boat on a rack not far from where I was and I kind of uh, plucked up the courage which sort of sounds funny now but um, to go and introduce myself and just say hello because I to me he was uh, whilst he was uh, kind of diminutive in in size he was just a giant uh, you know this giant world beater um, you know and, like and a giant humble, slayer but, um yeah, spoke yeah, yeah. humble guy from yeah. Tasmania, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, spoke very straight, no yeah. sort of uh, sort of listen to you, think, and then say what he thought. And yeah, an impressive guy. A, a sort of um, uh, t- 
tongue-tied and blown away when he asked me what I was doing there and what races did I have coming up. And, yeah. Um, yeah, like you equal It's very people. disconcerting, yeah, yeah when yeah. you think, oh, I'm just talking to – it's almost like talking to one of my mates from my own rowing club. Yeah, this yeah. guy's won a, an Olympic gold medal. Um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's quite inspiring and takes a little while to get your head around. Yeah, totally. And and uh, Nick, you asking me to come on here, I'm I'm honoured, but um, I, I'm not coming on here thinking that I've got um, an amazing story. But my story's got a lot of cool things to it that not really, you know, Olympic medals and things. But uh, people in podcasts are releasing a cologne or their um their um you know famous writing a musical about themselves and my story is nothing like that and but i've just got observations to share about what what is beautiful with the sport and what is what it captures about life which which gets me fired up so sort of here to share things i'm not yeah i don't think i'm here to tell you my stuff and um so if i say that that's my disclaimer now i can sort of talk a bit more freely yeah um noted yeah no it's um so so going back a step um Yurovich family, four yeah. boys. Mm. You're the eldest. Yes. You've got three younger brothers and your mum and dad and you uh, grew up just, I guess, outside Perth, you could say. Yep, yep, uh, 30 kilometres out of Perth. And so it was sort of you thought you were rural but you had all the good things of the city and you had a bit of space between the, you know, the wild stuff and you could still do anything you wanted to. It was really – we were very lucky – riding bikes to get anywhere and um, doing a bit of roboto on the vineyard. It's a w- word for work. And um, so it just sort of gave you a bit of um, think time, I reckon, was the best thing. Um, you had a lot of time to think while you're doing jobs that you you know you had to help with the family. But my, my family were the best role models for me. That was – that's the best thing I got was um, my dad just um, – if I ever stuffed a job up, it'd never make you feel bad about it. It'd just be, oh, there's some good elements here that you've done, and let's we we'd fix this bit up here. And so, so now they'd call it growth mindset or positive psychology because you're just looking at the wins and what's the signpost for the next thing. When I look back on it, I was out there on the weekend helping my dad, um, and uh, oh, squatting at each vine and. Um, yeah, feeling the pain, but that that think time where you yeah. you sort of just doing the next job and switching off doing the next job, it's really good for you. I reckon. I reckon um, with phones today, we don't get enough um, solo think time. Yeah. I reckon. I, I try and try yeah. to get a bit more, but yeah, yeah. And um, did you have the kids out with you on the weekend? Yeah, they had they had a few things on, but yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting them out there, get them to pull a few weeds, do yeah. a bit of this and that. Yeah, and. The vineyard was sort of originally started by your grandparents. Yeah, yeah. So they came out from Croatia after being in a displacement camp in Egypt after during the Second World War, and um, could have gone to Canada, California, New Zealand, or Perth. And why'd they choose Perth? But I love it. It's a pretty unique place. And um, yeah, my dad had to go to the bank and talk to the bank people because my grandparents couldn't speak English initially yeah. and um, I've got this reverse uh, language book which goes from the Croatian word to the English word that he used to learn English so I've tried to go the other way with it and see what the Croatian word oh, wow. is for the other bits so hanging on to that's pretty cool thing 
Um, but yeah, amazing, hardworking, generous people. People would walk up Great Northern Highway and come in and ask for a sandwich, and my grandmother would make um, jam sandwiches for them, and then they'd continue walking up the highway up to towards Jinjin and things. And it's pretty uh, really really lovely people. Um, we crack jokes that my dad was like the Ron Boucher Buddhist because he'd just say, "Don't, don't, boys, don't laugh at other people." just worry about yourself but he was a hard ass in yeah. terms of his work ethic and on the soccer field is a big big unit but um yeah so I was like we we're really lucky how we got to be adults we don't know we would do crazy stuff on the vineyard um when dad would go to play soccer we would take the tractor and the boat down to the river and put nets out um cr other things what, what were you trying to net yeah Car, you ended up getting car, but you're trying for brim. Yeah. But um, you get some brim. But um, crazy swinging ropes on the shed and, uh, yeah, a lot of stupid stuff. Chlorine bombs, big bonfires, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah, was, Your family's uh, been a big part of the Swan Valley and I guess the Swan Valley's a, a very important for your family, would you say? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's great of going out there my um there's uh, so many families italian croatian some serbian families i think and um yeah it's a it's a it's a pocket that's a bit different because it's sort of almost in the city but it's it's rural and um there's a good little community out there people help each other and things but yeah yeah and did you have some understanding as a young fellow that you were um heading into trinity uh for your senior schooling yeah, no, not really. Um, prime, my dad was really good at soccer. Got flown to Sydney to play in something in Sydney when we were kids, and um, but came back to run the vineyard for his parents. And um, we weren't into sport. We were all in trouble at school. The nuns at the primary school said, "Don't send this guy to the local school. Send him to the Christian Brothers in the city to sort him out." And um, I didn't want to go, but I got into rowing there and. Um, yeah, that changed my life and, and a few key people that said really, really cool things that I've, I realised how powerful that was that they sort of spotted the teacher I was making fun of, Brett Lefebvre, um, you know, low-grade low guerrilla warfare as you do yep. with your teachers and um, they said, oh, who's who could do something here? And he said, oh, Jurovic is an idiot but he could do something. He's, okay. and, I, and I remember doing an ergo after that and I beat all the kids a year older than me and um, – I remember thinking when you get to that bit that really hurts, thinking, no, no, Lefebvre said you could do something here. So that, that's just that bit of belief. And yeah. I, with coaching, I always – I know that there's a time when your athletes are about to do something that's a bit beyond their self-belief, that that's when the coach can step in and say, here's the proof, this is the training, and I believe in you. And, um, yeah, that, that's been really useful and – you tell the athlete, you go to bed tonight, tomorrow you're going to race and we've worked on this plan together and I know you can do it. And then the athlete can sort of leave it as your problem. They're mm -hmm. just going to get up and say yes to the plan, but you've sort of given them the plan a bit. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, again, when I met you, uh, you'd come back to WA and had you decided – Back in the early 90s, maybe teaching was for you? Yeah, uh, I was doing commerce and worked 
um, as chief of accounts for a few firms and didn't really know where I was headed with it. Um, and yeah, a guy from my old school, Ray Kozovich, he's a really powerful person in the, the in this that's in our school, Trinity. And um, he talked me into doing te- I was coaching there and talked me into doing teaching. Uh, got a scholarship to Notre Dame in its first year, and then um, yeah, love teaching. It's pretty good, pretty loose teacher in terms of kids say, "Could I call you Phil?" I say, "I don't care what you call me. Call me anything. I don't care. It's what you get to laugh about it. It's yeah. It's not what we're here for. Yeah. Um, and um, do you think you just demystify it, and then they yeah, maybe uh, yeah, you just take away the 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 f- crazy yeah. you know stirring points and just go let's get on with it yeah <laughs> um but um yeah teaching's pretty good um what what do you think ray saw in you that you know led him to think you'd be a good teacher or that, that might be a path for you yeah don't really know um i i was rowing back here um in wa and with you and and jamesy and mark james and um a lot of good people jim cross eventually daryl salisbury and um I came back to coach at Trinity while I was still finishing uni and then come back working as a, a, a chief of accounts guy. Um, and then I got, a, I finished my dip head and Guilford offered me a job and Trinity said, we've got a job for you, but uh, Guilford's job was actually there ready to go. And Trinity um, said, oh, just got to wait. And then so I grabbed the Guilford job and Tony Loverich and Jeff Hale, great people up there. Um, Tony Loverich is an Olympian from Los Angeles, won the silver, and Jeff Hale was a uh, Rome Olympian. Yeah. Um, local guys, really, really great mentors and funny, funny guys, very funny. Uh, they were really giants of rowing in Western Australia before we sort of had giants, weren't they? Yeah, and Nick, you should get Tony Loverich. Jeff Hale, I was at a dinner the other night and I had to introduce him and I said, he is who James Bond is modelled on because he was this 1960s smart-dressed, good-looking mm. dude who was very, very funny and very social. Yeah. Um, Tony Loverich, if you get him on here, uh, he won't tell you these stories. Uh, after working with him for seven years, these are the stories I discovered. Came back from the Olympics and was going to have a, row, a break from rowing. And so, Phil, the Olympics, that was 84? 84, yeah. So and, um, um, some boycotts and different things. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it was LA after a- LA, 80. Yeah. Yeah, LA, yep. It was yeah. in, it was in, it was, uh, what's it called? Banyol, um Casitas, Lake Casitas. Okay. And um, um, they came second. And when you watch the footage of it, there's a bit of footage still around. You, you can't tell who won on the line. Wow. The crew that won um, later were kicked out for drug taking. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. And um, But he, he was a boiler maker and he would, he would um, do this thing where he'd be welding under a truck and the slag from the hot metal would fall on him and he'd, practice putting up with the pain and he'd go 10 on the legs 10 on the arms 10 on the mid drive and um once he'd done 10 on the legs arms mid drive gone through it again still feeling the burn and he looked down and um 20 cent piece of um hot metal had fallen on his sock and it was catching on fire and (sighs) burnt his leg and oh wow what else he he tried out for the as a grinder for the america's cup and they because he's not super tall he's about six foot two maybe six foot three, they 
put him um, upstairs with all the people off the street and all the big beefcake guys were downstairs. And then he broke the record and um, set oh. a new record. And they said, oh, we want you to do it. And he goes, well, you can stick it up your bum because you, you didn't want me an hour ago. Yeah, it's right. And, and then on a three-speed bike, he won a bike race to York, oh. steel frame bike, um, just joined it to keep fit and see what if that was something he was any good at. Just... Um, yeah, very tough. Built his own skull and um, was camped on the course in Adelaide for the Nationals. And his big competitor, Brenton Terrell, who there, and there's not a time I'll go there and I won't have just this boost of happy energy just from seeing that bit of river. Yeah, something about the scale of the, the river and the, the proximity of the banks. It's um, mm. It's got a great energy and I guess um, – that's partly our sort of history. Yours a lot more than mine from rowing and, uh, you know, we'd go for runs around the bridges. What was that, about 7Ks? Yeah, 7Ks. Um, and, you know, spent a lot of time, some good parties down there at Canning. A few funny shenanigans. I remember you and Jamesy scurfing off Westies. That wasn't there, but that was on the river in your, in your tuxedos off the Westies jetty, which was still think about that. Yeah, well, I I have recently got my skipper's ticket. I've only only uh, just got around to getting it. I don't know why. I should have got it a long time ago. But I hired a little boat on the weekend and um, we went out Saturday and Sunday. And on Sunday, um, it was a, a glass off down in Freshwater Bay. And we had this little boat and Jeremy and our neighbour next door um, were up scurfing behind the boat. And I thought, oh, that feels like five minutes ago since um, yeah, we'd yeah. be out there. And I was trying to bite my tongue for, you know, uh, boring them about old stories of um, scurfing around on <laughs> boards with no fin or scurfing in and out of the... That won't uh, stop me, young man. I'm going to be telling <laughs> you some old scurfing stories. Yeah, well, yeah. I've uh, it's crossed my mind to get out there on the board and see if I can still do it. Yeah, I think yeah. the brain might be okay, but the body might be a bit uh, slow to react, I yeah. think. Remember Milne surfing the right this ferry wash and nose diving the the, the boat and, oh, and filling it with water. Is that right? And flipping one of the Swannies outboards, going too far out on a bend. There's some crazy things there. We might have dropped an outboard under Mount Henry Bridge one day. <laughs> and some people are still looking for it. Think yeah. I stole it. It's all, still, it's all there. Still uh, buried <laughs> in the mud, I think, isn't it? Or unless it's on an Aquinas dinghy or something yeah, by now. Yeah. Someone found it. Um, yeah. So you went to Trinity and I I did some rough numbers. I think you've won, when I say you, under your command and obviously a great team around you, seven head of the river wins? Yep, yep. The, well, they've, you know, we've, the schools won them. Yep. 99, 2004, 7, 9, 10, 13... 16. Yes, yep. And, um, you know, it's a great group of people and uh, families. The families, that's a special thing they've got going there is they don't have a boarding house, they don't have a dining hall, so the parents come in to cook the brekkie and do a bit um, and just really generous people. Um, it's pretty good and a fair few overall points, Hamer Cup, so we've had a great run. Um Funny story, when I went to um, Trinity from Guildford, 
the, I, I was I got to coach the first eight because George was leaving. That was he's was going to have a break. They sort of got me to look at coming back and did it. And so I was coaching the first eight, and the kids were going, "Who is this guy? He's the second eight coach from Guildford. Guildford didn't even win." And um, so um, sort of had to train with the boys and show them and do things he had to do. And then they made a deal with me that if um, if they won the head of the river, I said, right, I'll go back and I'll try and get in the Australian team. Two big goals, wanted to get in the Australian team and wanted to um, win the head of the river for Trinity. So I said, if we let's get this one. And then if we get this one, then I'm going to go for this other one. Um, I've always wanted to row for Australia. And um, so it, it got me back rowing. So I hadn't rowed since ninety. Uh, Seven. Then when I moved schools, 98, 99, I was still rowing, but um, had a year off at the national sort of level to, um, to give my new job some time. Anyway, um, rowed with Lofto, Glenn Loftus, yeah. silver medalist from Athens, and um, uh, Tom Atkinson and Ben Curitan and um, Luke Pritchard in that, in that sort of span, the lightweight rowers from here. And uh, um, we we did win the head of the river, and so I said oh, well, I'll have to have a go at this, and then um, ended up making the reserve for the Australian team after my pair partner didn't make weight. So we we, we were sort of travelling very well, knocked off lots of the people that got to be in the eight in the lead up, um, but you know fair decision that we, they didn't put me in, but they made me reserve. And so I had to do a 2K ergo every day and send it to the head coach. He was a really good guy from Tassie. And, um, yeah, that was a pretty amazing thing. And it sort of changed me a fair bit. Like you're always sort of dreaming that you can do it. And then there's people, win, they won a silver medal that year. And um, uh, I, in my head I was thinking, well, I'd beat three of those guys in the pair. Yeah, wow. And then I'd knocked off a few off in the skull at the selection regatta to try and get in the skull and um, uh, the guy, I made weight. The other guy I was rowing with didn't make weight. He's not with us anymore, Luke Pritchard, really great person, um, just young, just didn't didn't manage it properly. And, um, but then they put him in the Australian team for under-23s. He's a bit younger than me. And um, so – but it was a great thing for me. It gave me the confidence to look at running the program. And um, so – had a few guys perform at the national level from the Trinity program and um, a guy sort of coached by George more than me, but he's in that eight. He won three world titles in the in the four and the pair. And um, then he went, won a bronze in Athens. And um, I got to coach another guy in the Australian team. So I got to coach the Australian quad and they did some amazing things and, and won their heat, won their semi and in a very close finish came fourth, but two metres from first to fourth, but that was a big experience. And so those oh, things wow. gave me a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, I was thinking what things could I share with people that are going to help them and not, not bang the drum about me. So there's um, there's a guy, Nick Garrett, you know Nick Garrett very well, and um, he's, he's not with us anymore, but one of the most amazing types of coaches that I've come across. and everyone that he, he coached, he would pass things on to. And um, he said this thing to me one day, lots of people have a really highbrow view of their pursuits, but when they look at sport, they think it's for the 
sort of the Neanderthals and the and vain people wanting to build some muscle and look good in the, the bathers. And he said, but he said, I can honestly tell you that um, art is about finding truth. So if someone does a painting that copies uh, an image that you think is a true um, copy of it or if someone makes you feel something in a piece of music or a piece of art it, it's conveying that truth it's the thing that they wanted you to feel it's 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 true to the original and he said that's what sport is he said it's you finding what your best is and is your best better than something else's as a measure and can you adjust and get better and get to the standard and he said that's the pursuit that he 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 sort of gave his whole life to coaching people multiple olympic olympic coach um medal winner coach and he just had this energy that to share with people and that that picture of what was in the sport for me was was what i got into about it. i loved it yeah and um he was obviously <clears throat> such a special coach at the elite level but his impact on community rowers uh, uh sort of first hand in perth and later uh living in sydney uh around yeah. 2008 9 and one of the first people I called, even though I hadn't spoken to him for a long time, was Nick Garrett. So yeah, right. I'm in town. Um, I, you know, I think you're coaching over here. I wouldn't mind sort of popping down, maybe have a row. And uh, yeah, he sort of greeted me like, like a long-lost cousin. I turned up at um, um, the Mossman Rowing Club down there and uh, he'd already organised uh, a skull for me to borrow, got me sorted straight in, out in the water, and, um, you know, within weeks I was sort of swinging along trying to keep up in these time trials and doing different things with all his um, crew, which ranged from, you know, young juniors sort of on their pathway to later become senior Australian rowers and medalists, uh, veterans, uh, a women's program, you name it. Mm. But everyone just rolled around and Nick was like the conductor Wednesday morning, you knew uh, there was a time trial, might have been six o'clock start around at uh, the top mark, probably about, um, oh, it's probably three or four Ks, and it was a set course everyone at Mosman knew. And by the time you got to work, there'd be an email with everyone's results based on their handicap and yeah, how they went. Mm. And it was not, um, you know, kind of. Um, all about the the top end. It was all about you know how you're going. Have you improved? Yeah, where individual you, where personal improvements. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. But yeah. everyone wanted to be a part of it, and mm. you know, whenever you were out on the water, and Nick was in the dinghy, he would always um, check in, wouldn't he, or uh, throw throw some words your way, or talk to you later and say, you know, I. I might look at the pitch on that boat because I don't think it's quite right or something. Yeah, maybe, yeah, and just give some energy on. your way so you knew you were part, you knew you were appreciated and your work was being watched by somebody. I did this I did this ergo and um, he was my coach at the time and uh, I did a really good one. I got the Australian record at the time for the 6K and um, it, was, it was on 139 um, and um, finished it and I was – he came over and gave me this hug and lifted me off the ground and said some stuff to me that I've, I've written down because I didn't want to forget it, but it was one of my best achievements. And he um, he, he made it even better by, you know, appreciating my, yeah. my my little win. No one else knew about it. 
you know, who, who gives a damn yeah. if someone's doing some amazing thing in training that's, you know, it's on a fake rowing machine. It's, um, but he, he really realised the, the, the win in it for me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just a, such a generous person. And, and the, that, that community of people, definitely not everyone's like that, but those people are the ones, the George Zuris, Tony Loverich and, and Ken Grant. Like Ken Grant built his own boats. Um, he coached that 1960s crew at the Olympics, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And then um, when we were all coming through, just before you, Nick, you're a bit younger than me, he, um, he would give people these boats to use. And, uh, yeah, he was he, – he's an amazing person for um, – passing the baton on to the next group of people coming through. Yeah. And, yeah, wonderful attitude, really generous. Do you, um, you know, sort of reflect on some of these things when you're coaching young young boys today and I think you're coaching some some schoolgirls too? Yeah. And um, and uh, sort of up at A&A Rowing Club and we, we do one of those Nick Garrett time trials where you can sort of give everyone oh. their prognostic and – you know, for veteran men, for junior women, for heavyweight men, you get your own times, and um, yeah, the um, we yeah we definitely do that. But um, the other bit that you're just mentioning is the that um, that sort of obligation to put more wood on the fire. That's that's sort of the key that you you gotta you've got to sort of. Uh, talk to Tim, your your brother, a fair bit about this one. That um, if you worry about what you're getting paid for your for your time of work, um, then you're going to at some point go, well, I'm limiting it at this. But if you worry about the outcome more than the more than the measure of what someone judges your value to be, if you are really trying to do something special, then um, then that's when those things will happen, and then people will sort of. Uh, want you to chase after you to get involved and um, all of those guys didn't give a crap though most of them were volunteers never got paid for what they're doing but um, that's what they were trying to do they, were, they sort of saw the objective as the big thing that they were going to invest into and uh, it's, it's changed a bit but yeah they uh, they had that um, incredible ability to get people sort of jumping on board or wanting to be on board to um, you know pursue their goal didn't they yeah um, yeah yeah and and um and they sort of validated the campaign they sort of um saw the wins and um were there when you didn't get it right and came up with suggestions and well we didn't do this we've got to do this and yeah it's very good stuff yeah um but back to your trinity rowing did i count up correctly 14 hamer cups yes i think we've got 14 now yeah and for anyone new to the sport or unfamiliar with uh head of the river rowing in perth that's the overall cup so the the best performed school um great reflection of all sorts of things isn't it depth in the shed performance it's uh culture um how, how do you describe to people? Yeah, um, even a crew that's coming last, if they can come second last, that could win you the cup on the day. We had a couple of kids um, come off their seat in a race and just finish the race on the slides, cutting cutting their bum, you know, r- sliding on the aluminium rails and um, and still beat a crew that's, that gives you the win. 
and and every school and every club and every athlete's got those stories but we really make a acknowledgement to those things and um yeah it's every every seat counts and and we try to make sure everyone's aware of that the whole way through yeah and um have you been given some latitude by the school to really build the culture down there in the rowing shed and I guess create a certain environment that's encouraging, welcoming, yeah. high performance. Yeah, very supportive. Um, and I tell the kids they don't give a crap about trophies. They don't, they, and they don't, they don't, they don't care. Um, but um, what? And this is, you know, if anyone's listening to this, and if there's one thing I'd suggest is the best pitch to give to an athlete. It's um, the idea of the campaign, and that's what Nick Garrett did. George, not so much. George was definitely about the golden biscuits and winning them. Yep. Um, Tony Loverich, respectful of the athlete, but amazing. But if you can tell the kids that um, if they impress themselves, that's the win, that what you get is you get, um, whether you win it or not, um, people uh, are happy because they, they put they put their best campaign, their best attack together, and that's what they ended up with. Could I've done more? Left no stone unturned, and and there's always something more you could have done. But um, to your knowledge at that time, if you if you did all you could, you can sit and enjoy the the end of the season, and um, that's the one thing that's there. It's not from me. It's um, Ray Kozovich had it there. George had it there, but that's the the school definitely lets us um, um, puts me in charge of of doing that for even the kid who doesn't make a crew, but trying to record his win so he might do three pbs in a row on the on the rowing machine so that's the win we got we acknowledge and we bang the drum about and we try to have a photo of every kid in the yearbook um and um that's that's the good bit that they've got going on got a lot of kids who came through and really liked the experience and we we get them back as the um pass the bat and put some more wood on the fire and yeah, that idea of impressing yourself with your campaign. Yeah. When you look back on it, if you if you think, "Oh, I went a bit easy there," then um, that's the regret that's going to hurt you. But if you go, "Well, I didn't get the win, but um, but I bent my bones, and I I don't know what else I could have done." That's the that's a win as well. Yeah, and how uh, based on your observations over the years, how have you observed your rowers? Um, and uh, how they've performed outside the rowing environment at school and, and more broadly. Do you think um, that's been a good foundation for them to build some confidence in other areas of their schooling and perhaps some discipline and develop some other um, traits and characteristics? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, nothing to do with me. Like you, you look at what you've done and um, you're here doing this because – you're giving to the community and you've been extremely successful. But um, that discipline of I just got s- smashed in a race and um, I could walk away and go, I'm just not good at this or I can work out how to get better and do a truckload of work. And and that um, that is the real key element to what happens. We've had um, 29 boys... 32 now with the two this year, three this year, um, make the Australian team and six Olympians. 
with three Olympic medals and um, they're all, all of them are um, high achievers, engineers, doctors, um, guy who's the head of waste rowing. Um, they're, they're, they're sort of the guy who's the head of waste rowing. He won't like me saying this if he ever hears this, but um, he said to me, how are you finding it post-COVID, Phil? Are you finding the kids are coming back to the sport now that they can? And I said, yes, and but there's definitely um, people's adjusting their lives to it. And he, he sort of said to me once that you can't really, with the elite athletes that are at university or got jobs, you can't really keep doing the motivational push. You can't really keep saying, um, let's do it for the Gipper or Bataglia's one, or let's, um, you know, let's stick it up. And at some point when they're rowing 30 Ks a morning, yeah. um, it, it sort of stretches and wears them too thin. But, but I, I think that the, um, the, the thing that's seen a lot of kids go from this program and stick at it is the idea of them being proud of their campaign. And, um, that to me is the thing that has come out of this club that, that I think is a real um, thing worth copying is if you sort of recognise the success, then that gives more more energy to the person to keep going. And it, that's the nature of the sport, running, cycling, s rowing, swimming, that, um, that uh, stubbornness to just keep going. And if there's someone acknowledging, wow, this kid just made the state team or this kid got a scholarship to Harvard or um, other kids see it, yep. but also that guy is more likely to keep going. So we got a boy into um, Berkeley, um, another boy into UCLA this year, and then um, the boy who won the bronze in Tokyo, he was at Berkeley. Um, other Olympians from the pair, he went to Harvard. Those things are pretty significant. For your family and, and as rowing played a part in helping them get to yeah, those they're, universities they're rowing scholarships for those ones that you have to you have to have a grade point average that means you've averaged above a b so okay. a, a b or an a from year nine onwards so they're all academically amazing but um they're they've wanted to do it it's not not that good for australian rowing um but what it is is someone else saying well we like what you're doing here's a pat on the back here's uh, the ones to the East Coast unis are pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, Harvard and Yale, and wow. had a kid. A kid from Italy came to the school because he he was going to go to England, yep. and then the head coach said, "No, no, don't go to England. They um, got to hang around with the English. Go to Australia." And he said, "This school does a lot of sculling, so he paid his own way to yep. come." And he, he's rowing in the Italian eight at the moment. Rowed at Yale and. Um, um, yeah, we tell the kids a lot about him. He's he's a, an amazing character, not physically massive yep. or physically um, a genetic freak, but just a great attitude, really lovely person. But so anyway, the that um, that trying to acknowledge the campaign and um, letting the kids coming through see these people that we we're putting in front of them. This kid's doing that. Yep. He comes back and talks to the kids. Um, that to me is the. I've spoken to a few people at Rowing Australia about the campaign, and we we should be putting it in front of people as a as role modelling and um and the what's what's there for you yeah um out of the sport and they you know everyone's into it and they're not saying no but yeah um I mean there's a lot of resources put out by all the sporting mm -hmm. associations now um 
be it cricket, football, rowing, swimming. There's a lot of technical information, diet, a lot of sort of functional expertise, um, but you get the sense sometimes it needs more of that overall theme as to why you should be part of this sport and stay with it and what what you can get out of it. Yeah. Um, there's a great book from a guy from Canada, and I should have been more prepared, but I didn't even know what I was going to say, but the book's called The Winners Within. Yeah. And it's it's all about that internal um, self-actualization, the Maslow hierarchy of needs that, you know, at some point you're doing it, you got a you got a house, you got a meal in front of you, you've educated and you are now doing something that you to impress yourself and um that's what we should be selling more, I think. Um I coached a bit of junior cricket a few years ago and these were young boys, all pretty new to the sport. And uh Cricket Australia had really geared up with all their coaching resources. And this is back in the sort of good old days when Justin Langer was um, our uh, Australian cricket coach. And it's a shame he's not still, but um, yeah, it's great bloke. One, one thing they did was they, they would have these um, videos and even sort of uh, conference calls, I guess, that you could join in on. Mm. And Justin Langer would, would talk to all these community cricket coaches um, and make everyone feel that they had a, a piece and a stake in Australian cricket and a role to play in making Australian cricket successful right through to sort of retaining the ashes. And it sounds kind of funny, mm. but when you um, listen to someone like JL describe the type of cricketers that he thinks Australians uh, have historically been and um, uh, at the time what he was looking for in um, sort of players with um, sort of an attacking mindset could think on their feet and he'd, he'd describe all these traits that he wanted to see in elite Australian cricketers but put it into bite-sized messages that you could think, I can talk to these young boys and girls uh, just starting out on their cricket journey and you felt like you, you could sit them down and say, okay, today when we go to play, we're of course going out there to have fun, mm. but we're Australian cricketers. We go out there to attack. Yeah, yeah. We don't play necessarily safe or we're not playing to protect, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a minimal outcome. We play with flair and, you know, all these things that you feel like you can really um, dig into the culture of Australian sport and, and, and cricket at um, many levels. And yeah, definitely. Touch that, into some of that history of the sport that we've all grown up with. Yeah, connected to the to the pointy end. Yeah, definitely. It's brilliant. I, when I heard that, I was thinking about um, that great innings when Steve Waugh hit his 100 at the SCG and he was about 96, I think, going into the last over of the day. And Kerry O'Keefe was commentating with Jonathan Agnew and Agus said to Kerry, I think Gilly was out there batting too with um, Steve War, and he got Steve War on strike. And Agus said, "Okay, he'll shut up shop now and go to tea. Good day for Australia. Ninety six not out. A couple of balls left. Got to the last ball, and Agus said, "Okay, well, it's all over. We'll come out tomorrow for the hundred. And Kerry said, um, "That's the problem with you Englishmen. 
um, we're Australian, we go for gold, he's going to hit this for forward, score 100. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, bang, through the field, to the boundary and 100. And it was just that sense of, um, uh, you know, seizing that moment. Um, yeah, hard to... Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. That is the high point. That's great work. Yeah. Um, that sort of... Those little things and those moments are, are for the ages, aren't they? And mm. I guess for people, well, I think our vintage and maybe perhaps more senior than us, that's sort of a big part of um, identity, I think, as, as being Australians. And it's, Definitely. it's not to say that's the best way to get your understanding of what it means to be Australian, but I think those things give you something. Um, yeah, definitely. And it's a... It's a tricky one because it becomes like a, I, I'm not equipped to be talking about it, but masculinity and it's not a male trait. It's 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 interesting watching the AFLW and the, the same traits. Uh, they're not male traits. Yeah. They're resilience, they're indefatigability. And um, it's interesting coaching girls rowing because they respond to the same things um, with the same – same passion and the same everything. So where, so why I'm saying this is because often the story about Steve War and things, it's blokes yeah. looking at other blokes, and yeah. um, but it's it's a it's a story for everybody. And in this case, it's a man doing it, but a woman doing it as well is such a beautiful story because it's about this human spirit. And um, well, it could be Kathy Freeman yeah. winning the four hundred, couldn't it? Or yeah, definitely, um, yeah. Uh, you know, any number of. Uh, other female athletes or swimmers when they they stand on the block or um, you know they take the field and you know they've got the uh, the weight of Australia on their shoulders and I'm sure all that support. Um, do you think for younger people, sports still part of how they perceive the national identity or sort of a little part of what it means to be Australian still or is it? situational based on what the kids are interested in yeah it's a big one and i i do think that people are more global like everybody is more global and they can appreciate the story you know as as you always could but um of of everybody and not not with such an identification and a connection with your particular country like um i'm seeing that a little bit more with the students coming through but um yeah but I still definitely think that the essence of the story has always been there. Like uh, I wanted to be Viv Richards when I was a kid and um, uh, the story of what's his name, Farlap. There's this amazing bit of journalism where they write about Farlap dying and um, it's an American article, but it's some of the best sports writing that I've seen because it's beautiful writing and it's about this this, – creature that lived to be its best and um and wasn't with us and you really connect with this this effort this um spirit and i think that's there for everybody but um and that you know youngsters definitely still respond to that they i don't think we're putting it in front of them as much as we used to um yeah there's uh you know marketing marketing is telling kids it's about you you deserve it put your feet up play a game and this is your time this is you enjoy this and that to sell a product 
has a side effect of saying, don't worry about the big picture of, of the team or the, the, the state or the country. This is, you know, you're going to row 30 Ks a day and then not get picked for the national team and who's going to know. So yeah. I, I see a few kids thinking that a bit. Yeah. Maybe uh, they think through the, the steps a little more than perhaps we used to. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of the decision tree, what happens if it doesn't go this way, will it be worth it? Yeah, and, and it's a great thing, but but youngsters are so well-informed and they're yeah. so worldly-wise because of the internet. But um, and that, but with that, knowing about all the things that are going to be required of you through life, or may not be, but someone's going to have to deal with them, um, scares them a bit about committing to a path. Yeah. And um, sort of like the big smorgasbord plates coming around and they want to be able to keep trying all the oysters on the jats crackers and stuff yeah yeah um how many years you got left teaching phil uh i'm inventing a few things that if they take off ooh, we are, i'll be out the door but i'll still be doing this stuff for free i won't be won't be doing but i love teaching teaching's pretty cool yeah um so i'm i'm a bit of a naughty teacher i, I one of my tricks is guitar noises and um bug noises so i tell the kids if you ever hear me making a bug noise that means that thing's going to be in the test so you better be writing it down <laughs> and then um yeah it's always in the test so then yeah works kids kids like it being a, having a weirdo for a teacher yeah but um it's pretty good um and um the funny thing that i love about it is every kid even if they're not trying at all they think yeah i'm not trying but i might give it a go in a couple of weeks and then i'll get it and um so there's this real optimism generally yep. in kids that they think um, sell it to me more. I'm okay. not I'm not buying what you're saying, teacher. So it's your problem. You got to sell it to me more. Um, yeah, but uh, just you know, um, stories about what we got up to and and we love them. But but the thing I would say that um, you know you you showed this to me a great deal, and and the guys we all rode with um, is separating the jockey from the horse and um this it's it's not a new thing it's um if you can sort of separate the physical from the from the decision making and not worry about the the physical pain and the things but go no what's the objective we want here and how can we keep working towards this that's where the amazing things lie and i thought what do you like about sport so much what do you like about human pursuit and it it is that underdog story because um you know if if the football always went to the odds who would watch it no one would watch it you, everyone's watching for the for the possible upset everyone's watching for the turn of fortune and and that display of spirit and character is is the jockey mm. sort of the the body's the horse but the jockey's saying no no we're doing this and we're going and um that's what is very addictive yeah, there's always uh, risk and uh, unpredictability, isn't there? And I, yeah. I guess that's why we all uh, become quite irrational when we go to the footy or support a team. Yeah. Um, you know, you still turn up to a game where on paper the outcome is a foregone conclusion, but you know that it might not be. And, um, yeah, that, I guess, is part of, the, part of the beauty of it all, isn't it? Yeah, and the... I'd, I'd written this one down. Um, the the whole um, choice to respond 
So you can sort of think, well, we've got this stacked against us and we're probably not going to get here, but that whole everything is an opportunity to respond and um, sort of Buddhist Marcus Aurelius sort of um, your your response is the win. So how you choose to respond is a win in itself. And, um, yeah, that's a great thing to be involved in. And it's a bit naive and it's a bit idealistic, but, but it works. So, um, you know, like I'm sure lots of the dads of the – boys that I coach and the girls that I coach are going, oh, the guy thinks that stuff's for real, but, but I do. Yeah. And I, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's added to my life in a massive way. Um, it's been great fun. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not anything special, so I'm not saying that. I just been pinching stuff off people and passing it on to people. And, um, if you believe in it, then you can give some strength to the younger people coming through. And that's a really great thing to be involved in. So, and uh, there's a bit of music in your family, to say the least. How does that mesh with, uh, you know, the sporting uh, culture that you bring? Yeah, um, my kids are right into it, and so I, I, I my, my, my Jimmy said, "Don't you mention my name in this." So. Um, they, they're right into their music and I don't really know what the right thing to do is but I I thought everyone's their own person and I've never really pushed them to be into sport I just think everyone's on yeah. their own journey yeah. don't want to be a dance a dance mum they call them but dance dad's probably worse yeah. um, you know I just want them to find their thing and, and um, yeah they're, they're really I cry sometimes driving, listening to them sing in the car and say, no, sing that thing again. That's unbelievable. Oh, wow. And um, and then they they won't because I've asked them to. Um, but Carol, my wife Carolyn, she's an amazing singer and they, they violin and piano and things, they're, they're right into it and got to sing in a few big things. And um, um, what was it? Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and then couple of operas with his majesties and then the nightingale with the wa youth orchestra so i don't i did not Amazing. know where it's come from it's yeah. not so we haven't really pushed them with it they're just yeah. they're into it are you allowed to sing in the house no i'm actually not and they um i'm not allowed to sing in the car either right so can i sing now nick <laughs> my, my we could do some uh some music to go out or something yeah classic um is there anything we've missed or uh, I'm sure there is? Yeah, uh, no. um, uh, well, if anyone's listening to this as a coach um, and or, or an athlete, that would be even better. Um, that idea of the campaign, that to me is oh, – HG and Roy I wrote down. I've got to do – right, HG, got to do <laughs> some better stuff from him. So I've got this thing that I talk to the kids about um, that – the boat shed that they train out of isn't really a boat shed, it's a portal. And it's like off a Doctor Who episode where the portal can take you anywhere because it's it's this brave decision that you make to choose the sport you've got to get up early for and to do five, six sessions a week as opposed to two sessions a week. And um, that that portal is you walking through it is going to take you anywhere. And then I always say Gallifrey to sort of make it a Doctor Who joke and that I'm cool and I'm into Doctor mm-hmm. Who. But... But the idea of you choosing to do this, whether you make the top crew, go to the Olympics, whatever, that choice is with you forever, that you chose to do something a bit harder. 
And so that one's a good one where you acknowledge the people choosing to do the bit more. That's not mine. I just love using it. Yeah. The other one that um, I reckon's good to use is Henry V, the St. Crispin's Day speech, like the, the biggest underdog story in history and um, the whole idea of um, they can cook my bones, which will yield them nothing, um, that he won't surrender to the Dauphin. And um, then um, uh, the bigger the odds the bigger the win, even if we get defeated, the fact that we stood up to this big challenge is a win in itself. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to talk to the Netherlands Rugby Union Open team before the grand final and they went out and, and just uh, this English guy came up to me after the game and goes, what was that movie? What was that thing you showed us? And I sort of show it to him, but it's all Shakespearean language and then you sort of pull it apart a bit and you slow it down so people can chew the words yeah. over. And um, he says this classic... Um, those men asleep, their beds in England will hold their manhood cheap. So most of the people that went to France in 1457 or something um, were the second son and they weren't the first chosen um, from England. They were going because they thought they were going to get defeated. And so all the, the night before this big battle, all the soldiers are sitting around the fires, it's raining and they're thinking they're going to get slaughtered. And King Henry walks around and listens to them all. It's a it's a fictionalized version, but it's sort of the summer sums as Shakespeare's effort at to portraying this amazing event, and um, he next day gives this Crispin's Day speech, and he says, "All those men asleep in their beds in England will hold their manhood cheap, and um, they'll cheer when they remember their scars on Crispin's Day." And it's saying, if you don't step up to the scariest of challenges. You hold your manhood cheap, so I won't mm -hmm. go into details of what your yeah. manhood is and holding yeah. your manhood, but it's a yeah. um, pretty classic thing. Those, they they went out and scored the first forty-seven points of that um, grand final, and they're just like beasts. Wow! And it's because if you liberate yourself from the um, from the what ifs, I don't, and you just go, the bigger the challenge, I am going to smash this thing. Mm. Um, you you're going to put yourself into a into a red zone of possibly going outside your budget, but that usually puts you in front of the field and you'll keep on going with it. So it's a good, it's a good mindset. And, um, yeah. yeah. How, how did that come about going to talk to the rugby? Uh, boys? A boy's dad was um, the coach of the team and he heard me revving the kids up before the regatta. Oh, yeah. And, um, we had a big lunch and pretty cool. I got to coach the Australian, um, junior cross country team. So that was amazing got to go to the Czech Republic and we came fifth in the world and the two of the schools ahead of us were like Institute of Sports schools and we just had kids from Belmont and a cricketer who hated cricket and two footballers who were fit and um, yeah, it was pretty cool but we had this big lunch and this um, guy came and gave a speech, uh, Gary Muir, he's a guy to have on your podcast, he's, he ran the Bibbleman in 15 days and um, he uh, runs a tour out of Walpole and tells you the name of the shark, the great white that lives in the inlet and um, can name all the trees and the snakes and everything. He's an amazing person. He gave this speech and he he mentioned some stuff I'd talked to him about and then the dad said, what was that? Go through it. And then he said, oh, could you tell my boys that? So, yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, very good. Um Sheeny, another old mate of ours. Uh, he's got an interesting tale to tell, hasn't he? First Western Australian Mount Everest climber. Yeah, he came and spoke at that luncheon as well because uh, what an amazing guy. Yeah, 
he's um keeps in touch just um watching things he's in queensland so he can do a lot of pretty hard climbing yep and um yeah i'm not sure what he's doing for work but he, he was an accountant before he went over so he's probably doing some business type work and climbing a great deal great story with him um and he's an amazing person he won't tell this story either but when he went from perth to the mountain climbing school in new zealand the the guide that you get before you fly over there to teach you how to climb mountains said do not turn up unfit on the first day you'll be timed climbing to the top of this this peak of this mountain and if you can't get there in the in the required time you'll be sent home and he ran up the thing he oh, ran up right. the thing and broke the record by a couple of hours and um yeah he's a, he is the machine uh freak um well it's been great hearing a bit of the life story, Phil, and <clears throat> you know your your teaching journey. I think you're always someone that struck me as um, uh, a natural teacher. Um, I've I've never taught, but I think if one of the uh, KPIs to be a teacher is to find um, good things in people and find ways to encourage them um, and give them some direction. In my own experience, I remember as a, a young guy turning up at um, the Swan River Rowing Shed and, um, you know, pretty young and green in a lot of ways. There was a lot of older guys down there, um, you know, most of whom were really useful guys. But to me, you were kind of somewhere in between, um, sort of a still a young guy in hindsight, but, um, you know, a, a more... Uh, rounded mature version than myself and my young mates who are fresh out of school and i remember the way you always included us and encouraged us um you're always there to uh grab hold of us and say you should be doing this you could row as a lightweight you could row for wa um why don't you come out let's go to geno's let's get a coffee geno's is yeah yeah um i remember i'd never surfed and you said um I, I skipped uni one day because you and uh, Jamesy. Jamesy were going down to uh, surf down south and um, I'd hardly ever been down there actually. Yeah, well. But, um, you know, all those things, you know, uh, they're quite, um, quite sort of foundational for me to be included and encouraged and just do all these interesting things, um, you know, with you guys. And I remember even when I finished my... Um, my degree and I was starting to look for work and, um, you know, you're, I, I recall telling you in the back of the car one day on one of those surfing trips that I had an interview coming up and I, I wasn't sure how, how it would go and um, you really encouraged me and said, oh, yeah, I can see you'd be good at that and, you know, you could see something in me and, yeah, I've never forgotten that and it mm. sort of meant a lot. It really kicked me along. And um, I'm sure you've done that for, um, you know, countless hundreds of other young people. So, um, oh, you mate, know, thanks for saying that. But uh, it's great. It's a great thing to be involved in. But, yeah, you, you, you're you an easy person to acknowledge. You do amazing things. And thank you for saying that, though. But, yeah, great people. And, um, yeah, thank you for saying that. Thanks for doing this. And, yeah, thank, thanks for saying it. Yeah, well, some of my, you know, best memories uh either just out training on the river 
um, you know, trying to find that magic in the boat, mm. maybe in a, you know, Coxless 4, I think there's something really special about that boat. And, yeah. um, you know, when you get it right and you're all fit and, you you know, you've prepared for it, it's kind of effortless, isn't it? And it yeah, that it is magic. kind That's of never effortless in a way, but it sort of is. Mm. And you can find just this easy, beautiful rhythm and speed and, you know, that noise of the boat. Um, mm. um, so those memories, competing, racing, believing, always thinking – yeah, we can get those big guys um, training hard, you know, going on sort of runs around the river, um, life stories, you know, we all we all were fairly open book on what we were up to, you know, people, friends, girls, jobs, work, money, coffees, wine. Yeah, and the uh, wisdom, the Jamesy and the Crossy and Benny and Robbie and, yeah, some good stuff there. Yeah. And the communal, communal analysis, and uh, no, thank you, and thank you for all your, your wisdom, man. You've been amazing to be be a support and help me and my brothers out when we've had rough times, and so thank you. Yeah, yeah I sort of think um, your your background on the land is um, different. I think you've probably got, you know, a special attachment to the vineyard and and the Swan Valley. Um, we're sort of a bit different, but I think a lot of similarities there. I grew up in a house full of boys and, of course, my mum, family business. And um, I think maybe that's sort of the root of, you know, so much of what yeah. we had in, co Connect, in yeah. common. Um, differences to keep it interesting and kind of mm. challenge each other along the way. But um, I think a lot of the values and things that um, – we'd been lucky to grow up, grow up with, um, you know, we sort of uh, all helped um, sort of bring bring that out in each other or bring yeah, it to the yeah. fore. And I won't, you know, bring it up at the end of this, but um, to, to make it small, but your your stories of your family and your dad, um, that's a podcast in itself, is an amazing, was an amazing person. So, yeah, to hear what he achieved and, set you boys up with this these values and work ethic was, was you know I was, was honored to hear his stories and yeah so definitely things that I value um, um but yeah yeah good Phil okay well you know what we we might do this again one day down the track yeah might have a few more uh stories and scars and uh uh things to share yeah no good good thank you Nick and I've I hope I haven't talked about me too much but just you know hopefully shares but mate you're doing this how amazing is this you're doing it because you you want to acknowledge that there's energy out there and there's people helping other people and because why because then people will go well i can pinch that i'll do that and mm. it's going to help other people so yeah very, thanks thank Phil. you to you um well if no one else ever listens to this um i've enjoyed chatting with you and uh you know it's uh, a reminder you've got to catch up with your friends more often. Yeah, and, and we got to we got to catch up more, but enjoy the journey. So well done to you. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, mate.